welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to a freaking double podcast. And this is a podcast that I think you're going to geek out about because we have no idea what we're going to talk about. Uh, but I've got my my new buddy from an epic adventure up in British Columbia. His name's John Barklow. So what's up, Johnny B? What's up, Dud? Good morning. Uh, so what's it like coming back to reality? Are, are you kind of a little bit bummed out here these last few days? <laughs> Well, I'm not bummed out to get back to some good weather, but it's always tough, right? Getting back in the routine and getting back up and getting the workouts in again and all that. But no, it's good. I wish that was still up there, though. I think this week will be epic up there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We were, uh, man, we were, we had the coolest little, little trip ever, I think. It was, it was awesome. But I don't know if, I don't even know where to start. Like, I don't even know how to tell people what it was like. I know people. It, it was want... almost like packing a year's worth of weather into one year, into one week. Yeah, that's right. Good... It went from winter yeah. to summer in like seven days. <laughs> yeah, it did. That is true. Yeah, when I look back at the pictures, the pictures the very first day versus the pictures uh, from the last day. It just looks like we were in two different planets. Yeah, well, we kind of almost were. I mean, if it wasn't for Nick, you know, we wouldn't have pulled that off by any means. Yeah, we were. So we were up with um, Nick Yarish um, and Brit Brittany, uh, and they have it's. Ch- I always, I always call it Chipotle, Chipotle, <laughs> Chipotle. <laughs> Chipotle River Outfitters. No. It's uh, Chilcotin River Outfitters. You'll be able to find them somewhere on my on my social media stuff. But uh, Nick used to be a guide for another place that I went and ended up buying his own areas, areas plural now, because last year we were in his, or I was in his one area, the first area that he bought, and then he added on to that area, which is where all of us went this year. And... Well, it was it was awesome. Just to give everyone kind of a rundown of this trip and you know, we're going to talk about some it's not just going to be storytelling. We'll get into some practicality and some helpful tips and stuff for all of you that are listening, but um we were set to go with uh several of us, myself, um Trevor Thompson, who is new to archery, about 3 weeks new to archery. Um who actually kind of got hooked up with um, with me through Andy Stumpf, who Andy was supposed to be there as well. And then uh, yourself, you know, we kind of had a few slots. Um, and because of the weather, um, there's a few people that were going to be going with us that actually needed to get bumped the next week because we just didn't know how much access we were going to have because of the late spring. And then, um, you know, Andy ended up running into a few hiccups um, and had to pretty much 
not get on his plane last minute. So um, we may do, me, you, and Trevor, and then uh, Preston, uh, who I actually talked about in the last podcast, um, who's been on a podcast. Um, Preston Holdren was there as well. And then my longtime guides and friends and uh, kind of my my wilderness family, uh, the, the Fillions, Bert and Dusty. So, yeah, yeah. I feel like um, the story, the jungle book, if I was ever, <laughs> if I was ever like now in society, but was raised by like wolves and, and grizzly bears and grew up eating, uh, grew up being bottle fed by fireball and, and <laughs> then that would be from from Bert. So that would be from Bert, no doubt. Yeah. So I almost felt like I was raised by Bert last week. Yeah, that's what happens. That's what he's I like. Know. I told you you're in for a treat because he came out of reti- he came out of retirement to to do this. I told him I had some really good friends coming, and he uh, he ended up coming out of retirement to guide again and. Uh, I think it was a good time. Yeah, I don't know if it was a trip or a treat, but uh, Ooh, it was something. It. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Trip or treat. Yeah, that could, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that could be the name of the podcast. Um, that was good, you know, but in hindsight, we were, I mean, obviously Andy was there in spirit and we wished he was there physically, but to have a couple more people than him, it would have really been challenging as those roads, you know, took time to open up and needed the boat to get places and, you know, just needed more country to cover to find and find some bears. Yeah. there. Just so everyone understands uh, where we were at, we actually had to take um, a barge with our gear over um, to, uh, I don't know if it was an island. Was it an actual island? I don't think it was an actual island, but it was a very isolated peninsula at the okay. minimum. That's, yeah. I, yeah, I can't, because, I mean, even the loggers had to barge over, so I don't know if they, if they did punch through. The, maybe it's just too long to punch through the other way, but um, anyway, we were on the very end of a, a pretty isolated peninsula, none, if nothing else, and uh, we had to barge over. There was still ice on the first day as well as snow caps on all the on all the mountains around, um, so we had to break through ice, uh, with the boat and then literally dislodge the barge that was left on the other side, um, and break that through. And then literally each trip that we made back and forth, we would kind of make bigger and bigger circles so that, you know, the waves of all the action was continually breaking the ice and breaking the ice and, and then depending on which way the wind blew each day, it would slide the ice to different sides of the lake. And, and you know, I know when I think lake, what I think, but this lake was freaking massive. I mean, Jesus, these lakes were huge, weren't they? I mean, it's not like... Oh, was it like so- the second second biggest lake in Canada or something like that? Or BC for sure? It was huge. Yeah. It was hundreds and hundreds of miles. No yeah, doubt. It was massive. Um so that's what we had to do to get into camp. And then, you know, once you're over there, it's literally, you know, chains on your tires, bust, you know, cutting through ice and every single shaded part of the mountain. And it was in the truck. It was a good hour, wasn't it? Through that freaking snow oh, yeah. and mud and slop and 
uh, all that stuff just to get to camp from where we had our barge parked because we still couldn't drive the boat directly to camp those first days um, because you know it was a it was a good I don't know I'd say it was good fifteen minute boat ride at boat full, ride. full yeah. throttle across the lake when we could finally make a direct line from where our trucks were parked on one side all the way over to where camp was. Um, so, uh, well, you know, Dud, with all that said, talking to my, my friends and stuff, following your Insta story and your posts, you know, all they cared about, the thing they were most amazed about is they're like, how the hell did you get the trigger to camp? <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. That's what they were most amazed about. That barge picture you posted was pretty epic, right? With the truck and the and the trigger and all that. Well, you know me, I'm passionate about it. I'm uh, I talked about this actually in the last podcast. You, you it was I literally just posted it about 10 minutes before I called you. So I know even you haven't heard it yet, but uh yeah, I just told people that the thing with my Traegers is it's really it's totally made me want to challenge myself on what I can make or I shouldn't even say what I can make because I'm not a chef. I don't what the better way to put it is I'm curious how much better the game animals that I've always hunted will taste when I cook them that way or cook them the way that I'm cooking everything. And honestly, I you know, I talked about in the last podcast I said, man, I feel like I've done bear meat an injustice by only having it made into summer sausage and jerky forever, you know, because God dang, were those freaking meals good, dude. That- the, 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 the bear that you and Preston cooked in camp was absolutely amazing. I mean, you would not know it was bear. You know, bear has a certain taste at times, and I think it's all preparation. I mean, those were amazing meals you guys just, I mean, who throws a, what was that, a front shoulder of a black bear on the trigger? <laughs> it was a full rear <laughs> quarter. Yeah. And it was unbelievable. I mean, just absolutely unbelievable. Yeah. No, it's, it was well worth bringing for sure. Yeah. That's why I'm so excited about these stories. You know, the Instagram, I told people, I said, um, you know, the more I'm, especially now that I'm not on TV and having to abide by a TV schedule, I'm actually enjoying hunting a little bit more because I'm not feeling obligated to like film every single thing and post right away. And I kind of, I don't know, the more, the more everyone else does that, the more I want to not do the same. Like I'm, I'm trying to like, you know, I don't know. It's like I started live feeds and no one was really doing them and they, went huge and then next thing you know all these other people are like literally regurgitating things that i would talk about the next day or the day after or day after and then just got to the point where it's like you know what screw this i'm not going to be i don't want to be in the rat race the next guy that's doing doing this so i just kind of backed off and then even now with that like when we were out there you know it was kind of cool the fact that that tree had crushed our our connectivity to reality oh yeah, uh, yeah by falling on that satellite dish because it sucked not being able to check in at home but it was kind of nice not posting every single day because i really like i had a hundred percent of my time in camp with with you guys and with my friends and it was 
it was awesome. Yeah, I think you can enjoy yourself a little more. And I mean, obviously, you want to you want to post, and the knock on nation wants to hear what you're doing. But you know, sometimes you need a little break and just just go hunt for yourself a little bit, you know, and enjoy it. Find that passion again. Yeah, I feel I feel completely refreshed and rejuvenated. Um, the the I named the last podcast Archery Bliss because I just <laughs> I feel like I'm floating right now. I feel like you know I have I've had I think it was like 20 or 21 days between Lanai and then straight into the bear hunt, which. My bear hunts are booked every single year. I'm like I'm not missing BC. BC bear hunting is is just I just love it and the adventure is just so good. Um it's one of the best of my whole year. Um but the whole Lanai thing happened very last minute. Like, you know, literally I forget who it was, but you know, someone said who's up to go to Hawaii to shoot axis and a you know a couple people on that chain tech said, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go. And then next thing you know, it's like, when can we go? And <laughs> literally everyone could go the exact week before I had to leave for BC. So, you know, you know, my flight was, I had a six hour layover. So I packed one yeah. bow case and one set of gear for BC. And then I had my set that I took with me to Lanai. Luckily the weather differences are dramatic and luckily i have i took the rx1 with me to lanai and then i took uh my rx1 ultra with me to bc so i actually had the full bc gear packed and sitting at the house to where i landed and the only thing i was hoping i would be able to transfer from one bag to the next was my release aid my optics and my arrows and Man, I haven't even said this yet publicly, but I freaking left my release pouch, my old faithful. It got left at the at the hotel in Lanai. I gotta try to call and see if they kept it, but I had freaking I got three Noctuits in that thing, dude. <laughs> <laughs> That's a six hundred dollar freaking release pouch sitting on if if they didn't blow it in place because they thought it was some ied then they, they they'll have it for you i'm sure they will i well i don't know there were so many other <laughs> hunters on the island they're probably partying right now i'm gonna be seeing well the good thing is i guess next time i'm there if i see anyone using it i can i can uh <laughs> i can give them the beat down because they're all the ones in that pouch are one of a kind some have oaky knobs on them one of them has <laughs> laser etched stars on there um and the other one's black and green because everyone steals my freaking releases when i go places so i always have to make them not look as good so people leave them alone i left uh or lost a release bag with three three carter releases first year i shot snowbird total archery challenge and kind of went up and, and did a run myself one day and last target i was like well i'll just run down you know get a workout in blah 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 and I get back all the way back to my truck and I realized my backpack was open. And the one thing I didn't want to lose was that pouch with three releases in it. I just like freaked out <laughs> next morning, next morning. I'm like there an hour before they open and, uh, go up to this guy. I'm like, 
hey, you wouldn't have happened to have found some releases, and he pulls the bag out with three of them in there, and he, he's a good friend of mine now, Jeff Helms, but he's like, uh, he's like, we knew somebody would come looking for this. I was like, oh, my God, you have no idea how, how excited I am to see those things. Yeah, well. I mean, cost aside, you have them all set up exactly the way you want, and, you know, they're tuned and everything, and, yeah, no, it's a heart-wrenching moment. Well, even getting them, like, you know, I told Sharon I lost there, and she's well, like, "Well, in your case, yeah. <laughs> How are you even going to get them? And you're, yeah." I told Sharon, and she just looked at me. She's like, "Well, don't think you're taking any of mine when they come in." It's like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> <laughs> we're scrapping. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna have to call one of my friends just to get see if I can borrow one of their releases. <laughs> borrow one of my releases from them. <laughs> from them, yeah. Funny. Well, um, our our man Trevor, who's been bow hunting, and we had intentions, by the way, everyone, for us to do podcasts from camp, but uh, yeah, that wasn't happening. <laughs> we were we were totally we didn't have time. <laughs> yeah, we didn't have time. I mean, we were we were get trying to get into camp. We were trying to. Uh, we were trying to find areas where we could find bears because during that time of year, uh, you're really hunting the sides of the logging roads because where the snow melts off first is where the first sun hits the ground. And so, you know, it seems weird to say it, but um, you're literally hunting like the ditches of the roads, but they're not public roads. You know, these are roads that were put in by the logging company to actually log. Um, and the literally the ditches of those roads is where the logging companies have put like, you know, sometimes they plant clover, sometimes they plant, plant grass just for erosion benefits or, you know, to prevent erosion. And the bears are trying to find the very first type of green vegetation that's fresh to eat to where they can get their systems going again and try to you know literally get their their whole body functioning again so you're just trying to find those areas with the first green and find areas where bears are actually coming out of hibernation and moving around so uh you know it was it's a fun hunt it's different um and our friend trevor uh, so you can find him on Instagram too. Actually, today I'm going to start doing the story based around Trevor's uh, first day uh, or first bear hunt. So Trevor learned to shoot a bow. Andy introduced me to him, I guess, three weeks ago. And I got him a bow. Literally, he flew, he flew out to our turkey hunt to meet us so that I could give him lessons for a day and a half. And I gave him lessons for a day and a half, and then he went home while I was in Lanai and practiced every day and sent me pictures and video. And then literally, (laughs) dude, literally the first hunt he's ever been on with his bow is this freaking adventure. (laughs) He loved it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. He he had a... uh, he, I, I bet he had a chubby the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> I think he still does. Yeah, he might. He's been texting me. He should, man. It was, it was epic. And to go stalk a bear and what, not to give too much away, but I mean, he got close. Like he was, 
you know, within 20 yards of some bears for sure. Yeah, and, and made, like, made as good of a shot as you could make. Yeah, he aced it, absolutely aced that thing. Now, it, it says a lot for him. It says a lot for your coaching, but what an epic experience. I mean, that's, like, if you're not hooked from on bow hunting after that, like, it's just not for you, but. Well, we talked about, you and I talked about this in the airport before I flew home, and I think this is a really important subject, and I actually mentioned this to Rogan, and he was, he kind of, you know, to him, he thought of it that way once I mentioned it, and he's like, you know what, you're totally right, dude. I mean, he's like, man, you're totally right, and what the subject was, I said, I think these guys that come from this military background where it is high intensity, high adrenaline, but also um, very training intuitive and, you know, precision intuitive. And it's all about, um, you know, it's not just about the mission. It's also like having to plan for something having to pack your shit, like, you know, loading your, like, I guarantee you, like, with Trevor's and Andy's background and your background, like, throwing all your gear on those boats and freaking breaking ice and going through this stuff and, you know, (laughs) all that stuff, like, triggers, right? It's all those things that you did in that profession, and then all of a sudden you get over here and you get put in a desk job and it's like oh wow okay i get to ride this the train to work you know freaking i get 10 stoplights in town you know and then i'm at work yeah i can see how it's hard i can see how it's hard for these people that have had these super high intensity jobs you know defending our country and being in these you know, these situate these military situations to where all of a sudden that's just instantly gone. It's like gone. And then, and then it's like, well, one, they, they probably had fun doing a lot of it. You know, it's fun stuff. There's, you know, it's, there's, there's aspects to like brotherhood. There's aspects to, to planning and preparation. And there's, and there's definitely, the aspect of reward from mission fulfillment that is hard to get in the nine to five grind, right? And I think that's the disconnect that people struggle with from that background. And I think bow hunting, I think bow hunting opens those doors again for these guys and they just, they literally find a place to like, to have that release again. Yeah, they. Uh, I think they get excited. You know, Rogan's talked about this with, uh, I think it was Sebastian Junger. Um, I think he wrote a book called Tribe, but it was definitely about tribes and tribal people. And, you know, when you're in the military, that's a tribe. Then you get into a special operations unit, that's a smaller tribe. And when these guys lose that, I mean, you kind of you kind of start to look and grasp at something. And, you know, just with the few folks that we know, that you've kind of brought into the, you know, the knock on tribe. I mean, you can just see it in their face. They're just like so energized again and excited that, 
you know, there's something else they can do and pour their passion into and, and be in this tribe and have this intense experience. Um, it, it just fuels you again. And, you know, they're doing stuff because Trevor and I roomed together. And so we had conversations and, you know, he, he's like, I, I'm doing things like uh, that were just so intuitive to me from my previous job that, that I'm just doing now again. And I'm feeling like, I'm feeling like I'm back in the groove and I'm like, yeah, man, like strap in. That's what I like to tell them. Strap in for the ride. Cause you can do this for the rest of your life. And although every hunt maybe not is as intense as the one we went on and, and stalking bears, like, you know, he and I are riding in the back of the boat when we did that. How, how far do we go on that boat that day? 20 miles out or something like that. It was a long ways to onion mountain. Yeah. Onion mountain. And <laughs> you know, we're coming back and it's choppy and windy and, and Dude, cold and, we burned, we burned two hundred. Like we burned two hundred liters of gas on that trip. Yeah. Like that, I mean, I would say it's a yeah. good hour each way, and we probably spent. Oh, at least, it, yeah, yeah. It was over an hour each way, and then we spent an hour bouncing around between all the different sides of the islands while we were, you know, finding bears and doing stock. So yeah, I yeah. mean, we covered a ton of miles. Well, Trevor, you know, Trevor was, I think he had mentioned it, but, you know, Trevor was one of my former students. And so it's so funny because the last time I'd seen him before this hunt was in the, basically the same kind of environment. <laughs> and uh, anyway, so we're coming back in that boat, you know, and just bouncing and bouncing. We just look at each other and smile, you know, kind of knowingly like, yeah, you know, <laughs> let's get some. But I mean, we were both, you know, we were both prepared. I can't speak for anybody else, but like, if that boat crapped the bed, if we had to swim to shore, if we had to hike back to camp, like, like he and I were fully prepared to do that, you know? And, uh, I don't know. It's what I live for. And I think these guys, Andy included, you know, some of the others you're getting on board. Like, I, I just think they, they have something to finally like grasp back onto and gives them some grounding and, uh, and gives them that tribal kind of feeling again. I, yeah, it's, it's awesome. It's awesome to see these guys kind of like, begin to not not that they're not flourishing but like to find something they can just like sink their teeth into and and uh get excited about yeah i think as a as a bow hunting community and i think gun hunting is sort of like that but i don't know bow hunting there's like there's a different intensity level to it i mean you're closer you you're kind of you know you're closer to the target the target is freaking very crafty and smart and tactical errors result in failure. And these people are, most of these guys are, you know, they're competitors, uh, when it comes to that type of thing. So they'll, uh, I don't know. I think that, I think that's why they get into it. It's intense and it's hard and, you know, success is, is definitely a reward of, perfect execution so i think it's uh, i think we have to embrace that and i think we i think we need to you know we need to find more more opportunity to to take a hold of those people that's why you know i'm i'm trying my best to to take on as many as i can and for as many people that are you know literally just sending me emails or whatever every single week saying I want a bow built. I want lessons. You know, why aren't you doing it? <laughs> I mean, honestly, I just, I feel like, 
I feel like I'm doing more for the bow hunting community by by investing into people like Andy and Trevor and you know Jocko now and and um, yeah. you know there's there's some others that are coming um, here soon enough as well. Um, so I'm kind of I'm getting called out by some of Andy's buddies now. Um, so yeah, we're gonna. I think that's what we need to do. I just think it's a valuable, I think it's a valuable freaking thing that we need to consider for these people that, you know, are struggling sometimes, um, decompressing back into normal civilization. Well, Trevor's a good example in the sense that, you know, he really had never hunted and he was able to utilize all his skills, stalk in and take a 20 yard shot on that bear, you know, and, and lace it. And, uh, you know, if you carry a gun for a decade or two and, you know, in Andy and Trevor's case, you know, if, if something's within, you know, certainly a thousand yards, if, if not 2000, you know, I mean, the rifle has basically become, I, I don't know. I know Andy doesn't like to use the word mastery too much, but if you even remotely approach mastery of that weapon, like, there's not a lot of challenge left. And so you give this, these guys a bow, it's completely foreign to most of them. You, you know, you can shoot your whole life and most of us won't become like you, you know, we're not going to master it. We'll always be learning. And, you know, the next thing you know, it's like, you don't even have to say anything to these guys and they're shooting, they're running stress courses, you know, they're working out again, the, the fitness side of it, the physical aspect, the mental aspect, the shot routines, like, you know, we, we got into this, into our previous lives for a reason we were we were wired a certain way and we wanted to do certain things and and uh and yeah you give these it's just seems so natural for them to transition into it and uh it's challenging like you said it's super challenging and that's that's just the physical aspect of it shooting the bow and then and i think you had talked about this on one of the podcasts or no it was to trevor actually i think but he said okay you're going to learn that the behavior of a black bear and you're going to start to learn that, but a grizzly bear is a little different, and a mule deer is completely different from a whitetail. And you know, it takes years and years and years to. Now you have to learn the the behavior of the of the animals. You know, um, just like they had to learn the behavior of an enemy. So there's just a lot of similarities, and and it's just awesome to see these guys embracing it. Um, you know, the more we can, the more you can bring into the bow hunting community. I think, or archery in general, I think uh, it's great for all of us. Absolutely great for all of us. Yep. Well, what, uh, well, one thing I guess I should talk about, um, is yourself and, (laughs) and Trevor and Andy are all, you're all users of the silverback and, um, you know, Andy learned on it, um, you know, Andy shot first time I took him hunting. Amazingly enough, he shot two bears, spot and stock. Um, didn't really know what he did. I don't think he really know what he did. You know, he's like, I'm like, hey, there's a freaking giant bear, dude. Load up. You know, we got bear tags. And <laughs> he's like, okay. okay. And I was like, you know, where did I shoot? I'm like, right behind the shoulder, man. Just imagine if we're on four legs, where our heart is. Put it in there, and he freaking just stuffs it in there with like a perfect silverback execution and um and then obviously now with you know with trevor it's the same thing it's like a super systematic tool that's what you shoot as well and hunt with 
Um, surprise. Yeah, I've killed 14 animals. I've killed 14 animals in the last year with the silverback. Holy cow. Uh, and it's not that I, I, I didn't have a target panic or anticipation or anything like that, but you know, there, there have been times, you know, with that said, there have been times like where I've double clutched a shot, you know, on an animal and, you know, maybe got away with it. But going through your, your process and, and just, it just made sense to me. Right. And I was like, well, I'm going to hunt with this. And if I blow a shot, you know, so be it. And, um, I, have I've done nothing but gotten more control of my shot process, um, shooting that silverback. I mean, I own three of them, right? So, um, all of them set a little different and, you know, I shoot, I shoot a knock to it and I shoot some carters as well, but, um, I really, really have embraced not only the two finger shooting, but the silverback, just that, that whole concept. What, um, so you have three set at different tensions, which is a good idea too. Um, well, they're not, you know, you can't get them all exactly the same. Right. And I shoot two silverbacks and a silverback mini, um, just depending, but they're, they all have their own personalities, just like a bow. Well, and plus if you're using multiple bows, you know, you kind of, yeah, you kind of need one that goes with one and one with the other. Do you, um, now when I shot yours, cause I shot your bow a little bit. Yeah. Um, what, uh, for me, your, your silverback was a little bit lighter than what I'm used to. Um, but I, it's hard for me to say that too, because when I use someone else's bow, I'm not really used to their draw cycle. So I'm normally a little bit more aggressive on the wall because, you know, I don't know how much, kind of forgiveness I have in their valley because every valley feels so different. Um, And by valley, what I'm talking about, for those of you listening who are kind of new, um, so when you pull a compound bow, as you pull it, it gets harder and harder and harder and harder and harder. And then you get to a point where once you hit your peak weight, it gets easier and easier and easier and easier and it just falls off to where you hit the stop, you know, where it stops and the string is at the far as it can go and the valley is pretty much that point between when you're all the way against the wall and as you let tension off the string there's kind of it's called the valley but there's this very short um, space between letting your tension off and then the bow wanting to take that string away from you some bows the valley is very short like less than an eighth of an inch or a quarter of an inch some of it it feels like because because of the let off let off is another thing it means how much weight lets off as you come into your full draw position um some of them are a lot easier at full draw so because i don't know each person's bow because i haven't shot it enough to really have like you know your subconscious and your muscle memory know that feel i normally am pulling a little bit harder on the wall than what i would on my own bow and maybe that's why yours seemed a little lighter to me than normal but you know when it it comes to your actual shot timing like once you let off your safety and how much you're actually going through to make it fire it seemed good um but you know, how was your uh, your initial transition over to the silverback, or what were some of the things that maybe that 
were a little bit tougher for you to learn at first? Or what are some of the things that you noticed that really identified that being the right release for you at first? Yeah, well, um, years ago, Carter had what, something called a backstrap. I think it was called a backstrap, which is an index finger, like tension activated. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and I still own it, and I tried that. And then eventually I just walked away from index finger releases, you know, forever. Um, and then I basically had transitioned to a thumb trigger and basically taught myself, you know, how to shoot a traditional thumb trigger with back tension, you know, as best you can. Um, and then when the silverback came out, um, it just made sense to me. I, I transitioned to it and I committed to shooting, you know, one winter inside, just basically blind bail. And I went through all the, all the things you've talked about on your podcast, all the things that, you know, listeners have said, not being consistent. Um, one time it's super light. The next time you couldn't pull that through that release and get it to fire, you know, and, and, um, I've just slowly method. So one, you have to commit to it. So I totally committed to it. That's why I was like, you know what, I'm going to hunt with this and just really get it ingrained in my brain. Um, I'd say it's, I mean, I've been doing it for a year, maybe a little over a year. Um, and I would say took me easily six months where I could pick it up, feel complete command of the shot. But then the other thing I learned was you had to, you had to get the endurance and I'm assuming you're rhomboids, right? Um, where I could go and shoot 10 shots and then the 11th, I started pulling hard on the wall and couldn't get it to shoot. Then I could get the 20 arrows and then the 21st, I couldn't get to go off. And now I can get the 30, 35, 40, you know, so it, it's a process, but you've got to commit to it. And, you know, the interesting thing, when you said it was light, you know, you, you told me that my draw length, I could probably shorten it by a half inch. So, you know, I immediately went home and I picked up that other RX one that I told you I got, I set it to 28 inch. I started setting it up and all of a sudden my release felt light to me as well, because that half inch less a draw length, I wasn't as, I don't know, opened up, so to speak. Yep. Um, so, you know, that, you know, I come in, I check, check the wall, you know, check in as you say. And, uh, I'm like, why is this release lighter? Well, that half inch less a draw length, I, I think just had a little bit, you know, gave me a little bit more to pull through on. So I think you were maybe feeling some of that. Um, cause I, you know, it's, it's funny. I don't particularly think it's, I, so I went back to the 29 and it felt fine. So I think that had something that maybe has something to do with it. Cause your draw length is what? 31, 30 and a half. And yeah. Yeah. Mine's like 28 and a half, which was amazing. I mean, I saw you shoot my bow and I would have never, I would have said, oh, that bow fits you perfectly. And, you know, you talked about that. And I'm like, how can you do that? <laughs> how can you pick up my bow and shoot it more accurately than me? And it's like two inches less draw length. But, um, well, but yeah, we, that, we that talked about that. You can, amazing. Yeah. For the people listening, you know, my point to that was John was a little bit worried about, you know, he's like, am I a 28 or am I a 28 and a half? And, you know, I think we're going to make a few changes on your bow for you. But um, my point with showing you that, as I said, you know, this is at least two inches short for me, but does it look short? And he's like, no. And I showed you kind of the position of the front shoulder in your expansion of the front shoulder, how you can literally 
if you, and I talked about this on the last podcast too, because there was a guy asking me about why he struggles with up and down movement on his sight pin. And when I looked in his feed, um, he had a picture of him shooting, not, not like you, who doesn't even have a, (laughs) doesn't even have a profile photo. Um, but, uh, I told him everything was bright, but he brought his head like forward to the string so it's showing me that the draw length's too short like he's not able to to have proper posture he's not tipping his head down he's just bringing his whole neck forward and his anchor position and his string fit and all that was great but he was you know bringing his head forward and so there's a lot of small details you can do on your shooting form to where things fit you differently you know bring your head forward obviously the shoulder the scap position um and the only thing that gets tough for me is, you know, even though I can make your bow fit me properly when it comes to my posture, um, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to hold the steadiest. Like when I shoot other people's bows, it's harder for me to be accurate with theirs as mine that I feel really comfortable. Um, so, yeah, I think I think when it comes to draw length, variation, variation is likely but i also think people can spend way too much time thinking about that versus you know the silverback just it identifies so many things um yesterday we actually had someone that sent an email in he was kind of just he was pretty disgruntled the email was like are you going to stand behind your product and it you know and it and he said he said i was at full draw and the trigger fell off my silver back and i heard it fall off and then next thing you know the release broke and my release went flying down range and you know it shot my bow and so i told sharon i said i want to just call this guy so i called him and i said hey dude i said i want to talk to you about your release and he's like yeah and I said, I'm like, first off, being truthful is going to get you further with everything. And he's like, okay. And I said, in saying that, I go, if this picture of your silverback, I said the triggers broke off of it. And he said, yeah, it fell off when I was at full draw. And then, it, you know, ended up when it fell off, it shot through my bow. And I just said, well, you realize... Like you have to hold on to the release, and if the trigger falls off, it's just like you letting off the safety. So you still have to pull through the shot, and it'll fire. Or if you let down, it would fire halfway down through the cycle. But the release isn't going to shoot through your bow. The only way the release shoots through your bow is if you let go of it. And he's like, "Uh," and I said, "Dude, I've done it." I said, "People do it." I said. If you shot your release accidentally, I get it. And he's like, well, maybe that's what happened. And I said, well, it, it is what happened. It is what happened. And I said, I said, well, let me ask you this. I said, have you ever shot a handheld release before? And he said, no. And I said, so you shot a wrist strap? And he said, yeah. And I'm like, okay. I said, the positive thing from this is this is telling you that for the first time you – pulled back, you put your pin on the target, and you were trying to do what I'm teaching, which is hold your pin on the target and pull through the shot. I said, but 
obviously when you finally put your pin in the middle of the target and it was there, you wanted the shot to happen so bad that you just let go. And and that's an identifier of the one issue that holds the most people back in archery is their fear for being able to keep their pin in the center of that target long enough for them to actually work through a shot versus make the shot happen. And so I just told him, I'm like, okay, dude, you know, you got to call Carter. Things can be fixed. Uh, Safety-wise, people listening, you know, you got to tell yourself, don't let go of the release. It's a lot like, you know, if you go into an archery shop and pull the bow back with your fingers and then dry fire it, it's not good. (laughs) I mean, it's not good. Um, So having the ability to... To identify that you do have that and admitting to it and saying, you know, I'm a little bit nervous when my pin's in the middle of the target. And then telling yourself, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Hold on the release. Hold on the release. Let off the safety. Just pull slow and just, you know, pull slow and don't worry about the pin. Just pull slow and don't worry about the pin. And you get that, you know, and a lot of times I see it in people's face. The first time that release goes off without them knowing, they're just like, whoa. And I'm like, okay, that's different, right? And they said, yeah. And I said, okay, so now we need to do that same thing while allowing your pin to float around. And man, when you can make that happen... You are a new archer. And in my opinion, that is when you are an archer. You know, when you are able to shoot that way, that is when you are an archer. When you're not shooting that way, I don't, I mean, I guess I don't know what else, how else to categorize you. But I'm just, I'm just here to say when people make that jump and they figure that part out, their lives as a as a bow hunter and especially once they keep doing it their lives as a bow hunter and their lives as an archer they change and the people that try the silverback and abandon it you're i don't know what to tell you i just all i'm telling you is you're running you're running from your problem and well here's and here's the thing you have like for me i'll speak for myself like you had to be willing to check your ego at the door and say, I'm, I'm going to play the long game here. Like I'm in this for life. And you know, my accuracy went down, um, as I was learning that. And that's why I wanted to commit to just three months in the winter, just of you know, shooting close range, but my accuracy went down and then I got it back to 20. Then I got it back at 30. Now I'm back at 70 and 80. Um, but I feel like I'm a, better archer than I've ever been because of that product. And, you know, I mean, I, I haven't known you that long. I mean, I own these products and bought them, you know, well before I knew you. And I was saying, you know, it's everybody who learns archery should shoot attention activated release period to start. And, uh, you know, if it's not the silverback, it should be something else, but you know, the silverback is, it's an amazing if nothing else, to me, it's an amazing training tool. But I've I've decided to take it to the next level and 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 hunt with it. And uh, I've never been as accurate in the field uh, before as I am now shooting that thing. Well, I think if people 
had that mentality going in, it makes it way easier. I was the same way. I knew when I needed to overcome target panic, I said, I'm going to be in this barn and I'm going to suck. But I, I have to know that I'm going to be in here and I'm not going to be better. I'm going to be worse. I'm going to literally have to to dig out of this hole. And then once I dig out of the hole, I'm going to have the ability to then take this dirt and shape it into something that's that's cool. And I'll be able to build with it and make something good out of it. But when you have a really bad habit, no matter what that habit is, a lot of times you have to regress uh, in order to progress. And if people look at it that way to start with, that is so important. And just so everyone knows too, um, Sharon just popped in cause she could hear us talking and, uh, there are silverbacks on, on the website right now. There some came, oh. some coming, <laughs> some came in. Um, so I don't know how many, but there are some that are there. I know a lot of people got an email blast for people that were on the waiting list, but they are in. Um, so, and which videos did you watch? Do you remember specific to the silverback that were the most help? So it's hard for me to remember cause I do so much of this stuff. It's hard for me to Dude, go it's back. It's hard for me to remember because <laughs> I watch them multiple times, but there's one distinct one I remember. So I think he had a shorter one, like maybe, a, I don't know. There was one like when it first came out, but the one that I have watched several times is when you're self-filming yourself in the backyard, and it's probably a 45-minute video of my guesses. And you're shooting and you're going downrange and pulling arrows and coming back and just talking through it. And, yeah, I think I think it's important that you watch them several times just because there's so your brain is trying to process so much information and you know when you're trying to re, do a new shop routine like you can only think about so many things at once and, and then there's so many subtleties and you know i'm not i'm not i'm not ashamed to say i go back and i'll, I'll watch them and i'll pick up one little nugget and that one little nugget will take me to the next step and that next step may be a small one but it's definitely a step forward and um you know, but the videos are crucial. Like, I think the trainer, what do you call the, I forget the name of it, but the, the string trainer you have, I think that's a critical component to this. Yeah, yeah, that's one thing, and I know. The right aid, yeah. The right release. Yeah. Right whichever. release, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's a great little product. I traveled with it. I had it in both my bow cases. I had one in Hawaii. I had one here. Rogan uses his backstage. Freaking, he's like. 10 minutes before going into a Netflix special and he's freaking back there shooting his string and talking about archery. And I'm just like, dude, you got to get your head out of the bow hunting world for a few minutes. And he's just like, I can't, I can't, I can't. Um, obsessive. obsessed about it. He is. Yeah, he is. Um, I want to ingrain that shot sequence so much in your brain that in that moment of truth in that really stressful situation you know even though you have a conscious shot routine like you've done it so many times that your you know your subconscious knows what to do yeah you Um, have to have it that way a hundred percent that's what has to happen your subconscious has to have the ability to be able to to go through those things without you relying on having to really think about it and well, on that second bear that I shot, it was that way because I was pursuing that bear for um, almost two, um, 
almost two um, kilometers. So when I finally was able to pull back on it and he finally kind of came behind because I was following him through all these cutovers and slashes and he went up into, he went up above the road and he was in kind of in these pines and then he went down and he was walking on this main road a while. And then he went down into like this, this fire break um, for obviously when the forest fires came through, then he got back up on the road and then he went into this like, this little uh regen right above a swamp and i didn't have time to just range and range so i mean when i had that one shot of them broadside i had to just pull back literally pulled back in my mind was actually thinking about how far is he because i knew i didn't have time to range and i'm like i think he's 35 so you know my conscious is thinking 30 at the top of the vitals 40 at the bottom of the vitals and then, you know, once I was kind of through that, I was able to, you know, I'm just like, I was pulling so hard that as soon as my thumb came to that trigger, it was going off. Um, so my, the ability to ingrain that habit and that, that whole process into your subconscious, that's what I'll guarantee you. That's what allowed me to have my stance, right. My grip, right. My posture, right. my anchor position and looking through my peep. If I wouldn't yep. have ingrained that in practice, man, there was there was opportunity for some serious screw up right there, um, and that I think that's what happens to a lot of people. You know, I think a lot of people getting that fall into that category where they uh, they just don't have time to think about it all, and then they they go backwards. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I you know. I... The, the one, I mean, I took a lot away from the trip, but the, the one of the things you told me that, and it's even part of my shot routine, and it's just amazing. You kind of you do it so much that you just talk about it, and you're not actually thinking about it anymore. Like I needed refinement was was framing up my my site picture, you know, oh, yeah. my peep, my and my site housing, and you know, you gave me that. I mean, what seems to be at on the surface such a very simple piece of advice, but man, I came back, you know, and started shooting again and just being able to frame the way you mentioned at the bottom, <clears throat> like all of a sudden my groups tightened up, you know, again. And, uh, so now that's something I'm going to have to ingrain, you know, I'm gonna have to grain that, that framing at the bottom of, of the bubble, you know, into my subconscious so that I do it in the moment of truth and don't, cause I mean, the ac- my accuracy I've noticed now that, that you've mentioned that, you know, my lefts, rights, ups and downs, and not, not dramatically, but enough, um, outside my margin of error, I'm like, as soon as I would concentrate on that and do it at the same time, all of a sudden arrows would start to drop into the same place. Yeah. And, um, you know, you need, it's, it's it, I just needed to be reminded of that. And then the way you described it just made all the sense in the world. And I'm like, done. That's all I need to hear. That, that's the way I'll do it from now on. And so do you want to talk about that framing just for people that might not know exactly? Yeah, so, you know, part of my shot routine is, you know, I, I always say center my peep, which to me means, you know, center my peep to my round pin housing. And I try to get that, that kind of perfect eclipse, I guess they call it. Um, but what I was doing is I was framing the top of my peep to the top of my sight housing. And so I'm, you know, and to your point, so I'm looking at the top of the site housing, 
and then I'm looking down at the bottom of the site housing at my at my level. Then I'm looking back at the pin. Then I'm looking back at the top of the site housing. Then I'm looking back at the bottom at the level. Blah blah blah. And he said, "Man, he says he said just frame at the bottom of the site housing, and then your your eye only has to move from the bottom where the level already is to the pin and back, and it removes basically a step, and your eyes aren't going all over the place. What well, moves half and of a circle? That, it's you're oh my you're God, eliminating half of little, your, yeah half of the circle yeah and that that subtle little that subtle little tip which immediately clicked in my mind like hey dumbass why didn't you think of that yourself but that's <laughs> why you do what you do uh, I, I'm I'm like instantly my groups you know were not because I think sometimes I was framing at the top and sometimes I was probably framing at the bottom maybe subconsciously. And then probably sometimes framing back at the top, and so I'd have lefts, you know, ups and downs. And uh, so now I just have to ingrain that back into my shot process to frame at the bottom, which you know, take a couple weeks, and then and then I'm off to the races again. Um, but those subtle little things that you know, you shot my bow. Here's the amazing thing: is you shot my bow. It's two inches short, like we had mentioned, and you shot two or three arrows downrange, and you said where are you framing your shot? You're framing your shot at the top of the site housing. I'm like, how the fuck do you know that? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but you did. And he, you're like, no, do it like this. And here's why. Cause I always like to know why you're like, and here's why. And I'm like, done. Well, I think it. everyone has to know to why when coaches don't tell people why that's when their students, well, it's when their students just end up relying on a coach and all the time they have this crutch of not being able to do something on their own because they're just, they're constantly not understanding why they're doing something. And you, you really, you know, you don't, you don't want that. You, you really want, um, you want to be able to, to know why the heck you're doing something all the time. It's, it's imperative. And, you know, a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of coaches, um, they don't, want to educate the, you know their students on why they're doing certain things i think that's i think that's bad i think people need to know 100 percent why that why it is they're doing something you know i think it's imperative because when they're out on their own in the in, in the world you know they if they understand the why then they can figure it out yeah yep right when things go south sometimes they can figure it out yeah R- super important Right, right. Well, cool. What um, I kind of feel, I need to tell people if you guys want to know the Barclow that I know, you should um, you should actually go to uh, go back to to Andy's podcast, so the Cleared Hot podcast, and go to let's see. What were you on? Which podcast were you on? Um, let's 30, see. 70. Is that which one? Uh, nope. I don't think you're on 37. Let me see. I'll f- let's find it. Um, because you're going to want to go back and... Okay, you're on 35. You're on 35. So, hey, I was close. Cleared Hot Podcast 35. Um, everyone go and listen to that because... Barclow's on there, and I think there's a lot of people that listen to both of our podcasts. So he does a good job of giving a, 
a description of your background and all that stuff. Pretty much, um, John used to John used to train um, some pretty important special ops teams uh, for sure in the SEAL community on extreme weather survival and training. Um, so this trip was right up your alley with just kind of being hardcore. And I know you said you and Trevor were totally ready in case that freaking boat flipped over and we're out there in the middle of that lake with no gas and a bunch of people flailing around. I know you thought you two were ready. I was just, I was and just, it almost happened. <laughs> <laughs> I was just sitting there laughing, thinking which one of these two guys are going to be able to freaking make it to shore with me wrapped around the neck. <laughs> You're like, ha ha ha! I got my freaking 2800 backpack and Dudley on my back, and I'm freaking <laughs> trying to swim to shore. But yeah, we've got to do, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna dive into it because I know Andy really want, he really wanted to do a podcast yeah. with the four of us, and especially where we talk about, you know, kind of some backcountry hunting, hunting tips and survival stuff. Um, obviously, this whole survival side is way more your up your avenue. I think Trevor's really good at that stuff too. Um, obviously, you know, you trained a lot of that stuff with them as well, but, um, the four of us are going to definitely hook up again anyway. And, and we need to, uh, we need to do a podcast about that. Um, but yeah, you can, you know, everyone out there should listen to that podcast with John and Andy. And it was, uh, it was a good one. I could tell you guys were ha- were putting a few down too. I could hear the ice. That jingling. was uh, I'm not embarrassed to say that was that podcast started the beginning of 52 hours of straight drinking for me to get home from one eye. <laughs> um, tequila straight. I remember. I think I told you, but I remember at one point because we kept getting delayed and overnighted. At one point in Waikiki, um, I remember Andy or me or both of us ordering multiple uh, quadruple Don Julio's straight. Um, yeah, and that was about halfway through the trip, so it just went downhill from there. But, um, yeah, no, because Andy and I have known each other for so long and, and shared so much. I, I probably, you know, I've, I've shared, I shared more on that podcast than I probably certainly ever have and potentially ever will. Uh, but, no, it was a good one. It was a good one. Uh, as you know, I'm not super active on, I follow social media. I'm just not personally super active on it myself, but <laughs> I always have a feeling like who gives a shit what I'm doing every day. I have but, a feeling uh, like that know. every day. Maybe, maybe, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> like every day. I think that part of the reason sometimes where I don't post is I'm like, who does anyone really care? Like what I'm having to say anyway. <laughs> Yes, we do. <laughs> and, then, and then every now and then, someone—I'll get a text from a friend of mine. Like um, the other day, my buddy Tim Kitts is like, you know, "Hey, I think I had a—I had several messages actually when I got back that said, um, dude, are you alive? You know, we're worried about you. We're—you know—we know you're in—we know you're in bear camp, but we're worried about you.' And it's like, oh." <laughs> And then they're like, when's the podcast coming? Exactly. (laughs) That's what they really wanted to know. (laughs) Yeah. So right now I'm actually, uh, 
I'm making it up to everybody with these podcasts. So you're my you're my second podcast of the day. I'm gonna be doing. Yeah, some I can't other wait ones. to go listen to the one before this now. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm in a good mood, but I've done two in a row now. I've got. I have to keep my beer story going, so I'm gonna have to work on that. And then I'm I'm actually cool. ready to freaking. I'm ready to go hit my my rogue freaking weight rack get jacked yeah gotta, gotta get the pump on for sure yeah i gotta keep up with barklow and get these freaking these boobies a bouncing <laughs> <laughs> gotta like blow the cobwebs out you know i mean bear camp's great and, and you are active but there's a lot of you just don't feel like you're like you might have a good hike or something or a good stock and you come back but you still don't feel like you've accomplished a lot at the end of the week physically you know it's just and you feel run down and and uh, you're not eating the same exact diet. It's it's good to get out of camp at <laughs> a certain point and just like get back on your anything the same. Like I'm on the stop yeah. right there. I'm right. barely eating. Like poor Trevor, he's on he's like full carnivore diet, dude, meat and fat. And <laughs> yeah. He 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 learned by night 1. Okay, we're abandoning this. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a picture I haven't posted yet of a shaved bear. Um, you know that that shaved bear leg with that we finished oh, yeah. in the barbecue sauce. I did a san- I did yeah. a sandwich with that, and um, it was just missing a little something because we didn't have like the veggies in that. I don't put a lot of I don't put any like sauce on my sandwiches because they're in my backpack the whole day, so I don't want my bread wrecked. So, uh-huh. were you putting some of those all dressed up chips and? in your sandwiches to give them a little crunch no you no. weren't dude that's an advanced technique you didn't share with me oh no, man I, didn't do that. I gotta show you this i've got a picture of a of a, a sliced bear slash dorito nacho dorito oh, sandwich nice. that uh is i'm gonna send it to you right now and that way I can... You wouldn't eat that right now if you had to, but back then it was like the best thing know. you've ever eaten. I think eaten. I'd eat that sucker right now. <laughs> and then go hit the deadlift rack. I just sent it to you. I don't know. You know, you... speaking of your Insta story, I, I, you, I think you shared... I was singing. I was doing a little, a little song, I think. <laughs> I don't remember doing that at all. Um, that was the night I think I decided to partake in Fireball. Um. Which night I don't was remember. that? I think that was the night. Uh, that might, that be might the have night. been one of the bear nights. Yeah, that was the bear night. The Yeah, it the was. Bear leg. Yeah. yeah, it was the bear leg night. So there were two bear bears. Bear meat down. fireball don't, don't sit well, I guess, with me. I don't know. They put me, mine, over, put me mine, off my reservation. Mine sat really good. Mine sat. Mine, I, was, I was in the perfect place. I was in happy land. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and the, but the Asian, the Asian bear that you guys made the first was was it the first night? No, the second night when you killed that bear. Mm-hmm. It was that night, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dude, the, that was epic. You could sell that in a restaurant for thirty bucks a plate. It was unbelievably good. Yeah, and then you get arrested from the DNR. <laughs> yeah, right. a little gallbladder on the side. Yeah, yeah a little bear paw soup <laughs> just to keep the wang up. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and we don't condone that, by the way. But that's no, sadly not. enough. That's the reason why um, NBC. I did on my story yesterday. Did you see the? I did the time lapse of us field dressing. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so some people were like, why don't you get the inside loins and stuff? Um, so you're not allowed to open the seal. You're not allowed to open the seal or the cavity of a black bear in British Columbia. And the reason why is because there's people um, on the black market that actually want the gallbladder and there's like and i've you know what's weird is i've actually had several people send me messages and say hey is there you know um i really love you know soup from like bare organs is there any way you know if you ever like if you ever have the gallbladder please send it and i'm like uh no yeah no and they're like well it's not for me it's for my grandma i'm like yeah right yeah (laughs) (laughs) so that's why um you can't open the seal on black bears we stuck with the the main edible meat you know full quarters and back straps um i think legally you only have to remove the two rear quarters and back straps yeah Um, yeah so we went above and beyond that and had a good time um and one of the cool things about the trip too was Trevor, um, when he shot his first bear, he just dove right into wanting to learn how to skin and properly cape the bear and then break it down, remove all the quarters. And then I deboned everything for him the next day. And he went home with a, a full hopper backpack, uh, full yeah, of bear meat. Yeah. So, uh, you know, pretty cool. I just got to get him a trailer now and, He'll be set. Did you get that picture I texted you? Uh, did I? Let me see. You know, John, I am uh, known for my technical yeah. savvy. Yeah. Oh, de- yeah. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Tell me. <laughs> that. Awesome. Freaking Doritos better make a damn Super Bowl co- commercial out of that freaking right. yeah, bear meat sandwich. That should fly like uh, a freaking lead balloon. Imagine that a Super Bowl <laughs> Sunday thing with like shaved bear meat Dorito sandwich. <laughs> I don't think that would go over too good. Sadly, Probably not. people people get weird about bear for some reason, but I would say that and a walking taco are the only two good things that I've had with the Dorito in it. A walking taco? Yeah, they pretty much take a Dorito bag, cut the side of it open, and pour chili in there. <laughs> <laughs> I've never, I've never even heard of that, let alone eat that. But it sounds awesome, though. Yeah, yeah. It's um, you can find it at most high school track meets. We might have to try that with Bert next year at bear camp. I don't know about that. Yeah, maybe Bert probably just look at it and say, "Where's the fireball?" (laughs) Of course, you probably don't want Bert and Chili anywhere in the same zip code. So not if he's guiding you. No. If you're no. trolling around in his car, then I would not recommend it. Matter of fact, come to think of it, I'm not sure I ever saw Bert eat all week. No, he hardly eats, man. He gets he consumes calories from a bottle. He's been that way since a baby. Uh, he's, he's bottle fed. <laughs> yeah. Yep. He's bottle fed. So cool. Well, hey dude, this was cool. I appreciate um, you helping people with the silverback. I think that's super important. Um, the silverback releases, they are on, they are at knockonarchery.com. Uh, and there are still some in stock. 
at least there was when we started this. So um, <laughs> get them while the getting's good. And I am going to commit some time, especially now that it's summer, I'm going to commit some time to be doing some more videos um, on training and coaching. And then obviously I'm going to get a little, uh, I've got more students coming in here in the next few months, uh, new people to archery. And those are really good opportunities to, to kind of talk about some of this stuff. So, um, I'm going to do that as well. So if you're getting a silverback, you'll have some continual education going throughout the year to help you along. So, um, hopefully, hopefully you get better and hopefully that light switch finally clicks on this is what I wasn't doing before and this is what I'm doing now and I'm a better archer because of it because really that's why I'm doing everything I'm doing is I just want people to be better. Yeah, I, I think if people just, just relax, just relax, man, and enjoy the journey of archery, it'll it's amazing. Yeah, what, you, what the product you're putting out, just educationally, let alone the actual physical product, I told you the first time we met, you are literally changing the face of archery in my opinion. And uh, I'm thankful. I'll be watching all your videos. Anything you put out, I'm I'm a big fan. Well, thank you, Mr. Barklow. I'm glad I got one fan. I heard I had one. <laughs> I heard I had one. Well, um, I might not be like as good as the Brad of all Brads or whoever that crazy guy is, but uh, yeah. Oh, you'll meet him one day. You'll have a nightmare about a leprechaun, and that's going to be him. <laughs> you're going to like, you're going to be all alone in a camp one night, and be out there in your little porta house, and all of a sudden, like, you're going to see this like little green thing run by in the shadows, and it's going to turn and look at you and be like, ah! and that's Brad. <laughs> so he would have to be flow flow green if he, if he's part of the knock-on tribe he's got to be flow green he bleeds yeah. flow green if you he bleeds flow green. yeah he's like the predator if you slice if him, only his wife knew i know that's the best part <laughs> like you, that has to stay his alias i think she's probably catching on here now that he's she's going, got now to. that he's going to like basketball games and people are yelling out like bread of all breads and he's just like <laughs> It reminds me of uh, the movie Old School. Like, he's the godfather when he's, like, walking around and people are being like, Godfather. And he's just like, Shh, hey, man, you know, keep it on the down well, low. My freaking wife's here. So, dude, not, 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 to, not to prolong this too much longer, but we're – that first night we spent in B.C. at that guy's, at that guy's camp. Yep. Like – and you're sitting down at dinner, and you're like, oh, like, my son, like, loves you so much. And then we get on this other ranch because, oh, this guy, like, he knows who John Dudley is. I'm like, we're in the middle of nowhere. And these people know you, dude, in B.C. And uh, it was amazing to That's see That's the only reason why is because they're in the middle of nowhere, and they have to listen to podcasts <laughs> when they're snowed in. <laughs> <laughs> and they've listened no, to all the good ones why. and they've got they're like oh let's just knock on hmm hmm yeah I, I actually i forget that reminds me i got to get mike something for his son because i said yeah didn't he say he wanted a picture or something yeah we totally spaced yeah. it we got all busy we like, did well thanks for could send him the one of me you and trevor in our t-shirts oh yeah the new t-shirts no one knows about yet yeah, nobody knows about them yet. So you guys are on the inside scoop. Something cool coming. <laughs> it's not knock on. So it can be epic. I think so. 
I think that I think I think there's going to be a boom when yeah, that I'm excited, happens. Excited to see how that goes. It'll be it'll be it'll go over like gangbusters. <laughs> yep. All right, dude. Well, I know you got to get cool, to man. work. It took you thirty yep. freaking minutes to find a phone in your building. It's kind of ridiculous. Just so everyone knows, I asked John to give me a landline to do this podcast. So he's so he gives me first off, he gives me a number with like a code after he said, then dial this code, and it was like a one eight seven seven number. So I actually I thought for sure you were having me call like a dick hotline. <laughs> yeah you were calling me <laughs> <laughs> and, and i'm like i'm not falling for that and you're like what and i said dude i that number seems sketchy and he said no it's legit then i called you and you're in your conference room so it sounded like you're in an echo chamber so then i said i need a landline so then you had you're like hold on so five minutes later you text me someone's desk number and i call <laughs> it and the dude's in the on his way to um asia Asia. yeah he's just like hello and i'm like barklow (laughs) he's like who's this i'm like dudley he's like oh what are you calling me for and i'm like uh well barklow gave me this everybody had call forwarding on yeah and literally everyone from your office had call forwarding so i well here's the problem i got to talk to everyone i I don't even know yeah Uh, i disconnected the phone at my desk I, I can't I can't be bothered. If you want to call me, call me on my cell phone. So <laughs> I don't even have a landline. And uh, obviously that was a problem this morning, but someone in customer service was gracious enough to give me their phone. So well, I'm, I'm sure tell, lots of people are pissed because they can't get through right now. But I'm, I'm going to tell this last story because you'll actually get a kick out of this. So we're up in Canada. We're at a shoot. And our shoot was about two hours north of the airport. And there was four of us. Uh, in the morning, we had to check out of the hotel. We all kind of checked out in a scramble, and then we went to the shoot. Well, when uh, Kevin Wilkie—do you know Kevin Wilkie? I know who he is. I've okay. never met him. Okay. So, I mean, super cool guy. He's really nice. He used to manage the Hoyt Pro staff. So, okay. Wilkie runs out of the room with his— with his bags and all this stuff and me, him and another guy, Sean Monson were all in the same room together and he leaves his laptop on the counter. So me and Sean kind of looked at one another and we're like, okay, let's grab this sucker. So we grabbed it and just slid it in our, in our luggage. And he, you know, he totally forgot about it, but we knew we had it. And so we ended up going to the shoot and when the shoot's over, we're all struggling to catch our flights. So we're driving down. We're driving two hours to this airport, and we're about ten minutes from the airport. And so it's a good hour and a half, hour and forty-five back to the the hotel, or it's fifteen minutes to the airport. And all of a sudden, my phone rings, and it's Kevin. He's in the rental car in front of me and Sean, and he goes, he goes. Uh, he said, dudes, I freaking left the Hoyt laptop in the hotel. He's like, I'm so dead. He's like, I am so dead. He's like, gosh. And he's just like totally worried about it, but he's on Bluetooth. And Sean, yeah. you know, and Sean was driving the car. So it was actually through Sean's phone. And he goes, Dudley, what's the number of the hotel, dude? He's like, I got to call him. I got to get my computer. He's like, I'm going to have to go back and miss the flight and stuff. So while he's saying this, 
just out of on a total whim. I just I opened my keypad on my phone and I said uh and I just looked and I said 800 328 3425 which is 1800 eat dick. <laughs> and I didn't know and he, I just kind of just I just said that, right? So um, and I was just looking at my you phone. You didn't know what it spelled, actually? Well, no. I looked at my phone, and I was literally just saying, like, Okay, gotcha, di-. yeah. Like, I was just saying, eat dick, like, as a joke. <laughs> I didn't even know it was a hotline. A real a real number? Yes. So, next thing I know, he's literally right in front of us. We're driving down the highway. So, I see him pick his phone <laughs> up, and he's, like, dialing it. And I see it go up to his ear, and after about 15 seconds his freaking car just starts like moving around and he's like holding his phone out and he's like looking at it. And then dude, he, I see his head swing back to look back towards us. And then he freaking calls us and he's like, dude, he's like, I will never be burned as bad as you just burned me right then. He's like, he goes, I am so stressed out right now about this computer. And he goes, and I am laughing so hard. He goes, he goes, he's like, how did you do that? And I'm like, do what? He goes, that number. And I go, what was it? And he goes, it was a gay porn number. And I'm like, was it really? And he goes, yeah. And I said, what did it say? And he goes, well, I can't even say on the podcast, but <laughs> I guess as soon as it picked up, it was like, hey, do you like, <laughs> and, and so he told me, he's like, he's like, I need the number of the hotel. And I said, we got your computer. And he's like, you do? And I said, yeah. And he's like, dude, and he's like, you will never get me as bad as, as that. And I'm like, all right. So yeah, if you're uh, if a buddy's ever in a in a whim and needs a number right now, that's how you can get them. That's why you were gun shy this morning. I got it now. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I thought that was karma coming. I thought I was going to be dialing up for my podcast crew, and all of a sudden you have me dial up freaking. Well, it was kind of early. I probably wasn't thinking that clear. Maybe next time. <laughs> well, <laughs> unless you you know what I have on you, so. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I can never run for political office. Yep. yep no, yep. I'll take that back. I'll, you, don't worry. We're good. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I caught, well, it wasn't actually me. It was Preston caught you in, in the perfect oh. moment of eating a big old bear sausage. <laughs> and it doesn't, me and Preston are going to have a talk. <laughs> it doesn't look good for you. <laughs> oh, all right, man. I got to get going. My bladder's about yeah, to burst. Thanks and, a lot. And I got to get. Um, I got the swole patrol need me to check in. So Yeah. Right uh, on man. I appreciate the appreciate you calling me this morning. All right. Thanks, dude. See ya. All right. Bark John Barklow, everybody. Or if you wanna see no profile picture at all, um and wanna check out his Instagram, which has uh one picture of pretty much a shadow standing on a rock. It's <laughs> Jay Barklow. <laughs> Maybe now I'll post something. Maybe I'll be inclined to post something. Yeah, at now. least post a picture of us three in camp or something. Jeez. All okay. Right. All, right. All right. Later, man. See okay. you, dude. Check you later. Out. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. 
knockonarchery.com.